Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. And I'm Jesse Chesky Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We will touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we talk about a scientifically valid personality test, and then we talk about what music trends can be gleaned from Spotify data. Let's get started. Susan, do you ever take personality quizzes? Funny story. First day of class teaching intro stats a few years ago, um, a student asked me if perhaps I had taken a Myers-Briggs type indicator test and then proceeded to rattle off a series of four letters that were supposedly his prediction of my personality. I actually didn't re- don't remember what any of those letters were. Um, he basically picked out that I was probably an introvert based on my lecture style. So I had no idea um, and was a little thrown by that comment. It was sort of right after my first class, but I did go home and take one of these tests and found out that I am an INTJ. So I reported back to him and he went, yes, yes, that is exactly what I would have thought. What about you, Jesse? That is hilarious. That's that's a very very forward comment also from a student in some ways on the first day of class. (laughs) I know. And it it just made me wonder like what aspect of my personality is, um, am I just delivering too much in a a too too transparent of a manner? (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Well, I have to say, I used to love doing these sort of personality quizzes. And the one that I remember most clearly was a Disney princess quiz that I did once. I, um, and if I remember correctly, I ended up being Ariel from The Little Mermaid. That's my favorite Disney princess, by oh, the way. Yeah, she is a good one, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, as you might imagine, there are many personality quizzes out there. And um, they don't necessarily have the strongest scientific underpinnings. Um, But on the 538 website, they published a personality quiz on January 16th that they claim is not, it's not junk science. Um, It is actually a follow-up to an article that they published back in January of 2018 that was titled, Most Personality Quizzes Are Junk Science. I Found One That Isn't. So this is a quiz that is open to everyone online, free, easy to use. Uh, all that good stuff. Yes, exactly. And um, you can take the quiz and compare your results to um, to what they refer to as the quote-unquote average American. Um, you can also invite friends and family members to take the quiz so you can compare results with them. So what makes this quiz more scientific than the good old Disney princess quiz? Well, it's based on what they refer to as the big five. And these are what many psychologists will use to assess personality traits. Um, so the five traits are extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, negative emotionality, and openness to experience. And these categories are actually based on nearly a century now of research. And then um, by the 1970s and 80s, they were able to do a kind of a thorough analysis of the types of words people use to describe themselves. And that's how they got um, these five categories. So most of these um, category traits seem pretty uh, clear. What does negative emotionality mean? Um, It's sort of the opposite or antithesis to positive thinking. Um, So it's kind of leaning more towards depression and anxiety. Uh, That makes sense. So 
five traits, how does scoring work? Um, so ultimately, each trait is graded on a range from zero to 100, and they highlight um, that you are not, for example, classified as an introvert or extrovert, but rather your propensity for introversion or extroversion. So based on how they define this range, um, I'm guessing the idea is most people won't have an extreme score, but they're somehow in, in a middle somewhere. Maybe there's a normal distribution that gets to be used for each of these, these um, score scales? Yes, exactly. Uh, would you like to share some of the questions on the quiz, Jesse? Oh, yes, for sure. So the 538 website, um, their quiz has 30 questions. Um, one item says, I tend to be quiet. And then you would specify whether you um, disagree strongly, you disagree, you're neutral, you agree or agree strongly. Um, another item is, I am dominant and act as a leader. <laughs> so these are rather clear and direct statements and you're then rating them on this Likert scale. Yes, exactly. And um, that's what helps to take away the mystery of the quiz as well. You're not presented with kind of bizarre questions that are seemingly unrelated to personality. Did you take this quiz, Jesse? <laughs> well, I took it, but um, but what I did is I went through and clicked strongly agree for all 30 questions, um, and it turned out that I it gave me a score of 50 out of 100 in all of the the big five categories. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's kind of like a sign of a well-designed quiz too. That if people were just so careless, um, they wouldn't get this fascinating outcome. They would just get the average. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I have to say that I, I somehow wasn't expecting to get 50 out of 100 on all of them. I thought like it would put me in an extreme in at least one of the categories, but, uh, um, but you're right. That is, it's, uh, it does um, give it some extra validation then. So yeah. It's kind of how we want to design our multiple choice questions on, on tests, right? We also, <laughs> if people are randomly guessing, you're hoping that they just get, you know, 50%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, I took the quiz, full disclosure, um, and, and it's interesting. I, I didn't expect to have numbers that were so, so ordinary for most of these points, and I think that relates back to the scale that you talked about, how they wanted to make sure that most people had just run-of-the-mill run numbers, uh, but there was one aspect that I did score way off the charts. And not saying that that's a positive or negative thing, but I scored 92 out of 100 on conscientiousness. So I guess I really am just unusually conscientious. <laughs> that, is, that is a good trait to have. So you have a propensity towards conscientiousness. Well, now I wonder if I'll be even more conscientious because I'm so aware now that, you know, that, that a scientific personality test tells me that's how I'm wired. <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll start tracking you going forward and see if you change your behavior now that you have this information. So often we hear about how scary it is for all these seemingly free online services to have all of our data. Facebook, Gmail, Twitter, they probably know us better than we know ourselves given the massive amounts of data we give them on our behaviors online. Yeah, and not all of it is bad, but it does remind us that there is no such thing as a free lunch. Um, we get free emails and they get to know who we talk to and what we talk about. So of all these services, um, we're going to brush them aside. No social media, no Gmail for now. We're going to talk about Spotify, the online music streaming service. And 
in particular, what they've learned about us from the music we listen to, and of course, what we can learn from what they've learned about us. <laughs> As a bonus, they provide some of their data, uh, actually our data, available online via an API, so um, they're not keeping all of it to them for themselves. Hey, free data! That's, that's good, right? That's sort of at least keeping it dem democratic here. So a paper in Nature Human Behavior examined data for a million Spotify listeners from 51 countries. And of course, they don't unveil any individual data insights because that would be creepy, but they do actually look at how people behave um, sort of in aggregate. So they actually summarize some of the insights. So the first insight is that we tend to prefer lower intensity songs in the morning during weekdays, and the preferred intensity climbs upwards and winds down again in the evenings. Yeah. So when I lived in Pittsburgh, I, I used to go to this, um, it was an early morning spin class. And there's one instructor that would play this really loud, intense, like booming, heavy beat music. And it was just horrible. Like I, I know in a spin class, you want to be like upbeat, but it was like, it was not even like upbeat. It was like this pounding. And um, it was, yeah, it was not what I was interested in at 6 a.m. <laughs> Maybe that's just the way to get everybody awake at that hour. <laughs> yeah, but throughout the day, I could still feel that like pounding beat. Like it was like my heart beating. It would just like stick with me all day. I, I actually ended up uh, not going to that class anymore. <laughs> at some point, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. You want to be in control of your own soundtrack when you're working out at the gym, right? And yeah. and to be forced to listen to music that not just bothers your ears, but also sort of pulses through your body. That's kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> too, too intense for the morning. <laughs> well, the second insight is more of a geographical one. Latin Americans tended to prefer more energetic music, whereas Asians preferred more relaxing music. Uh, and women preferred less energetic music in the Northern Hemisphere and more energetic music in the Southern Hemisphere. So this is all about like beats and energy. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if those two discoveries are actually related. Like perhaps there are a lot more Latin Americans in the Southern Hemisphere and a lot of Asians in the nor Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, that actually would make a lot of sense when we look at the map, sort of where uh, the denser populations live uh, in, in each of these continents. That actually makes a lot of sense. Another discovery was that song intensity also correlated with day length. So much more consistency near the equator, whereas larger variation in areas that are closer to the poles. Now, some of it is admittedly cultural because in summer, we tend to listen to more upbeat, danceable songs. The weather permits for that. And in the wintertime, uh, well, we have Christmas carols that are soft and melodic. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Spotify actually tends to recommend music, doesn't it? Isn't that the kind of one of the points of it? Um, and how do we know that users prefer a specific genre of music rather than just that they're recommended to listen to it, for example, at various times of the day or year? Yeah, that's a good good point. That and and we always sort of talk about this as instructors too. Does correlation necessarily imply causation? How do we know that Spotify isn't just recommending uh, more upbeat music to certain? demographics. Uh, well, it turns out that the, uh, the authors of this article were rather careful. They wanted to make sure that 
um, that, that this wasn't the case, and they found that 80% of the tracks played were actually personal choices. And just to be extra clear that these aren't songs that are casually skipped over, they made sure that they focused on tracks that were played all the way through. Because you can hit that skip button many, many times if it's, you know, not if it's the really loud kind of music that you're hearing at the gym in the morning. <laughs> yes, they make it so easy. Now, Jesse, I have to confess that I have been watching our own Spotify podcast data pretty closely because now that we're content providers, right? Now that we do our own podcast and we post it on Spotify, it turns out that we can get a pretty nice view of who listens, um, not in too much detail, just age group, sex, and so on. Uh, and, and of course, this is because Spotify can link to your Facebook account. So sneaky. And um, listeners, please keep listening. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're really um, not seeing anything too private here. So, so in the spirit of not keeping all the data to ourselves, we are actually going to share with you what we've learned. Um, first of all, our listener base thus far is about 60% females and 40% males. And given that we are perhaps teaching in a higher ed environment, about half of our listeners are in the age group from 18 to 22 Ah, oh. yes. So th those would be the college students. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the next highest age demographic is 28 to 34 years of age, followed by 45 to 59 years of age. Um, and I, so we should say this is not everybody, obviously, because we're only getting this kind of information on our listeners who are using Spotify to follow our podcast. Um, but the most surprising thing to me anyway, is that most of our listeners who use Spotify are from Poland. The next top countries are Australia, Ireland, Brazil, and the Netherlands. Uh, it's really surprising, isn't it, Jesse? Yes, that is actually. That's very, uh, very interesting. I, uh, I wonder how it is determining the location of the listener, whether that is um, IP or based on hometowns or um, as indicated by Facebook. Yeah, this is this is uncertain for me as well. Um, I did try to look at how Spotify is able to do geolocation. That is this act of sort of determining your location based on uh, based on your metadata, um, and it didn't seem terribly clear to me how how that's done. So, if you are the listener from Poland or Australia and you want to share with us whether you actually are from Poland or Australia, please let us know via email. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to see the articles that served as reference material for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Bye.